I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me today is Nicholas Sue, Regional Head of Payment Products Asia for HSBC. We are talking about another set of alphabet soup, CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies. It's a truism that a lot of central banks around the world have announced new projects or new phases of projects where CBDCs are concerned. What is it they're actually investigating, Nicholas? Firstly, thank you for having me, Robin. So as as you kindly mentioned, I run HSBC's uh, payment product franchise for Asia. I'm also quite active in the broader Asian payments community, including chairing the Hong Kong SWIFT shareholder group. So I will try to approach our conversation, you know, obviously, firstly, as a transaction banker, uh, but also perhaps as a occasionally over-enthusiastic payments guy. So, Robin, to your point, CBDC is a very, very interesting topic. And, you know, perhaps beyond the hype, they are sometimes misunderstood. So I do hope our conversation today can bring some practical examples, you know, along with the associated challenges. And I think importantly, illustrate that CBDCs are but one of the few horses, you know, in this race uh, for the future of digital money, albeit it's a horse with a pretty strong inherent advantage, you know, that of state backing, obviously. So to directly answer your question, what are some of the types of CBDCs uh, being explored, Robin? Um, I don't think there's a universally agreed upon taxonomy, uh, but we at HSBC broadly see, uh, you know, these three planes. Uh, they are direct versus indirect uh, or, or occasionally hybrid. Uh, we see wholesale versus retail, as well as domestic versus cross-border. So do allow me to briefly elaborate uh, on each point. So on direct versus indirect, that essentially refers to the distribution model for CBDCs. Uh, a direct model is when the central bank you know, pretty much takes on all the responsibility for the CBDC from issuance, uh, transaction verification, you know, effectively running all the aspects of the ledger. And also, in, and this is a really important point, directly owning the relationship with the end users. And as we all know, as central banks go today, that's certainly not how they operate. And our belief is that that's not how they wish to operate, right? You know, really kind of touching end users, uh, kind of like, you know, uh, Robin, you and me. As we know, that's typically the role of commercial banks. So that's probably a good segue into the indirect model where the issuance and liability uh, remain the responsibility of the central bank, but the distribution and operations are the responsibility of the commercial banks. And you know, I believe this is very much like the current intermediated model that we see in banking today. And it does seem to be the main model uh, under consideration by most of the central banks globally. Uh, there is also a hybrid model uh, under consideration in some markets, uh, most notably the ECNY in China. Uh, Robin, I don't want to complicate matters further for this short uh, conversation. So I think the second dimension that I probably want to explore uh, briefly as well is wholesale versus retail CBDC. The clue is in the name. So in most simple terms, you know, retail CBDC is where the users, the end users uh, are individuals such as you and I, and it presents another option uh, such as, you know, payment options or my, 
uh, money options that we're used to today, such as cash, bank deposits, or, or you know, uh, prevalent forms of e-money that we see in various different markets. And on the wholesale side, the end users are typically commercial banks with the primary use cases, uh, you know, being payments or security settlements or even trade finance. Really quick examples, you know, kind of give the audience uh, a bit more color. On the retail side, I think, as I mentioned earlier, China's ECNY is a good example. Uh, there was recently the announcement of the e-rupee pilot in India. And on the wholesale side, I think one of the best examples would be the Embridge pilot, which is a joint uh, effort between the Chinese, Thai, Hong Kong, and UAE central banks. Finally, the third dimension is domestic versus cross-border, and I think that's largely self-explanatory. So, Robin, ultimately, at the risk uh, you know, of making a motherhood statement, I think the right CBDC and the associated design choices you know, really kind of boil down to the motivation of each central bank uh, and what problem they're actually looking to solve. It sounds a lot more complicated than just issuing fiat money. Yes, it is. Let's dive a bit deeper into the retail CBDCs and the pros and cons of the various payment schemes and infrastructure that would provide real-time retail payments, because do we need a CBDC to do that is perhaps part of the question. I couldn't have posed that uh, better myself, Robin. And I think, you know, firstly, thanks for the question. And I really like the way you pose it as pros and cons, because Personally, I don't believe that there are perfect solutions. You know, there's always going to be trade-offs. And I think... You did a solution in my, search of a question. A solution is... Yeah, that, that's a new one, Robin. Very nicely, very nicely coined. And I think, you know, just kind of having clarity, Robin, on the problem statement, right, building on your point, will actually help guide, you know, some of the trade-off decisions, you know, I, I mentioned earlier. So, you know, you did ask me about retail CBDC. So maybe let's dive into a specific example to make this a bit more real. Right. And I think maybe that helps the listeners get a bit more perspective. And I'll start, you know, with the e-rupee so we can narrow it to a domestic uh, retail CBDC. And as I mentioned earlier, right, I think some pilots or experiments have started. And I think for those of you that follow the vibrant Indian payments scene, you know, you could be scratching your head, you know, to, to Robin's point. I mean, India is recognized, uh, you know, for its brilliant ADAR and API uh, technology stack. Right? It's enabled. Uh, you know, the smooth onboarding of perhaps, you know, millions, if not hundreds of millions, uh, you know, of new account holders and its instant payment rails such as UPI, IMPS function really well. And, you know, most uh, countries when I visit them, it, India is often, you know, seen as the model country when it comes to real-time payment rails. So what problem, you know, is a retail CBDC really solving? So rather than, you know, Robin just kind of giving or you taking my word for it, right? Uh, I've also taken a look earlier at the RBI paper to, to, bring, to bring it to life. And I think the RBI believes that there remains significant value adds uh, that CBDCs can bring. And uh, maybe let's focus on, you know, three areas. I think the first, despite, you know, there being strong digital payments adoption in India, the usage of cash, you know, puzzlingly remains very high. So... I think it's their belief that the retail CBDC could be used to further tackle cash reduction as well as the cost you know, associated with cash. Secondly, uh, financial inclusion, right? There's also a belief that you know, with the right design choices, mind you, including provisions for perhaps offline CBDC usage and providing kind of a base layer of risk-free uh, digital sovereign currency, this could help in you know, further tackling financial inclusion, which obviously remains a big focus in India. And I believe that you know, this is uh, some of the motivations uh, in a few of the other markets that have gone live as well. 
And finally, part of the benefits that have been stated uh, you know, of digital money is the fact that you can have programmability, but you don't then have to introduce the, the, you know, the, some of the risks associated with cryptocurrency, right? which is also becoming increasingly popular in India. So to summarize, Robin, I think if it's well implemented, I think it's theorized that CBDCs could reduce costs, boost financial inclusion, reduce risks, and also perhaps drive further payments innovation. But on the flip side, and I, I always believe there's a flip side, uh, you know, there are indeed some concerns or challenges with a retail CBDC uh, implementation. You know, I think this range from concentration risks because you potentially now have a single point of failure. Uh, I think you know it's well documented. There are concerns, say, around preserving privacy and anonymity. If if you if you are indeed trying to displace cash, right, and and the use cases surrounding cash. I think being able to perform transactions, right, perhaps up to a certain amount anonymously uh, is a key driver. So, you know, the central banks together with the rest of the stakeholders will need to reliably guarantee that the users, we mentioned cost earlier as well. Could you justify the pretty significant upfront costs of putting in place, you know, a domestic CBDC infrastructure? And I think perhaps the biggest one, Robin, that, that I, you know, often comes up is the concern around potentially crowding out you know, the private sector and, you know, what are some of the downstream impacts, say, to credit creation if commercial banks are disintermediated. So on that very last point, I think that's why, you know, and I think I mentioned this earlier, we often see the indirect model, right, or perhaps the hybrid model, which is under consideration, right, in most markets that are experimenting this together, you know, perhaps with some amount caps for the amount of CBDC each individual can hold. We've talked through there the retail CBDC. You mentioned earlier the wholesale CBDC. This is something that HSBC itself is looking into as well, obviously, because if it comes, you're one of the banks that's going to be operating the wholesale CBDC solution. What are the use cases and challenges? I think this is where you know it gets quite uh, interesting as it gets a bit more complex as some of the use cases are indeed cross-border payments. Uh, and you're right. I mean, HSBC was, and you know, we remain involved in multiple wholesale D- CBDC experiments across the globe, all the way from North America, Europe, Middle East, and you know where I'm obviously based in Asia. The best example I can give you, and this is you know given how intimately my team was involved, was the Enbridge pilot, right? Where we worked with central banks in China, Hong Kong, Thailand, as well as the UAE, and you know also anchored by uh, the Bank of International Settlements or BIS. In short, so what was the uh, Enbridge project? So it was a common DLT platform, right, supporting wholesale CBDCs issued by central banks in each one of these four jurisdictions. And the CBDCs were backed on a one-to-one basis, right, by reserves. The participating banks, of which there were 20 across four markets, and, you know, I'm quite pleased that HSBC participated in three out of the four locations, we were able to settle payments in four of our respective home currencies on a 24-7 instant basis. So to answer your question more directly, Robin, the use case in this case here was settlement of international trade which, as we all know, is certainly a big pain point across the industry. And we seek to improve the cross-border payments experience. We can certainly do better as, a, as an industry there. So I think, Robin, maybe to then build on some of your, your points uh, earlier as well, like the pilot was tightly coordinated and, you know, certain aspects were prearranged and there will be challenges, you know, before it's out in the wild, right, independently. But I think it set a very strong technical and process foundation for many other pilots 
to build upon. And I just want to spend a bit of time talking about why we we feel this is quite groundbreaking, right? For a couple of reasons. Uh, the first, it is the first production live multilateral uh, CBDC transactions, you know, at least that we are aware of. And in addition to working with the central banks, the 20 participating banks actually collaborated with our corporate clients, so the end users, to actually test these transactions end to end. So it's not, you know, it's not just uh, kind of a you know a contained uh, experiment. It was actually a true pilot, you know, where transactions were tested end to end. And you know, Robin, for the true payment nerds listening in, it also proved you know BIS Model Three, right, which is a single uh, multi-currency system. You know that that potentially can work. But despite all that, right, building on your question earlier in terms of the challenges, it's not all a bit of roses, right? I, I try to I try to be as uh, candid as possible in this regard. Having a pilot live as well as actually scaling it. Uh, are two very different things. You know, there are numerous considerations, and that's why I said earlier this is why it gets complex, because across multiple jurisdictions, right, each country has their process, policy, legal, and you know, regulatory aspects to consider. And I'm sure, as the listeners can appreciate, right, you know, these are across the domains of say forex, uh, monetary policy, process considerations, and you know, harmonizing all this uh, is not for the faint of heart, right? Point often made when we talk about wholesale CBDCs is that. Yes, they have the potential to overcome some of the challenges of the current correspondent banking-led uh, cross-border payment system. But going back again to my point on trade-offs, right? new challenges emerge. If you remove the chain of correspondent banks and you start pointing, say, to a central infrastructure or a CBDC platform, who then runs and administers this platform? Who sets the rules? How are these rules decided? Right? How are the commercial transactions? And these, Robin, are very valid questions you know that the industry is currently grappling with so as i believe robin this applies to many other aspects i do think the technology itself is broadly ready or at least i can see a clear path to the technology being ready i think the messy problems you know of process and human coordination you know still need a bit of work and finally uh, sorry, I've droned on a bit, but less your listeners believe that uh, cross-border payments is the sole use case for wholesale CBDC. I just wanted to highlight that there are several other use cases under exploration, right, in other jurisdictions. Uh, I think these are, I think it's fair to say they are mainly in the capital market space. So focusing on DVP or delivery versus payment use cases for security settlement. And again, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners can appreciate. I think this is against the backdrop of, you know, this kind of secular trend towards asset tokenization, something that HSBC and several other industry players are, you know, exploring very vigorously. What I'm hearing from you is that there's almost an inevitability that something like this, something like the projects you've been working on, is going to come to fruition. Maybe we're not sure of the timeline yet, but it's coming. How do corporates prepare for this? What do they need to prepare? What is it going to mean for them? You've highlighted some of the things it could mean for them, but how do they get ready for this? Definitely, I think some use cases right, will come soon. And again, just, just to highlight to, to the audience, there are a few countries where you know CBDCs uh, are already live. I think it's fair to say they are developing markets. We haven't seen a truly developed market that has gone live, right? Either on the retail or wholesale CBDC. And I, I do believe, you know, if it's purely Robin say a purely domestic and very retail focused uh, CBDC, given there are less variables at play, I do think a retail CBDC can deliver some of those benefits, right? That that we had mentioned earlier. To your point, in terms of say adoption and what corporates you know can start getting ready. So, firstly, on adoption, I do think adoption needs 
certain trigger events, just like how, you know, kind of uh, learning from, you know, COVID accelerating the broader trend of digitization, right? I mean, not just in payments, you know, but across the broader economy. I see that happening rather than, say, a, a very uh, slow and steady take-up. And again, that, that's just a personal opinion. And I think the triggers here could be legislation. It could be broad-ranging campaigns. It could be perhaps uh, exclusive usage for fiscal stimulus or perhaps, you know, a bit of all of these uh, various different triggers. And I'll just name a few that come to mind. For the corporate listeners who are listening in, I think, you know, be it in, say, finance, treasury, or, you know, tech, I think just having better appreciation, you know, for the digitization trends in business and money are probably just as important as knowing the ins and outs uh, of CBDC. As I mentioned earlier, I think my view is that there are many contenders in this digital money uh, format war, right? Ranging from CBDCs, tokenized deposits, regulated stable coins, cryptocurrency. And I think each one of them have kind of their steadfast set of adherence. And as someone, Robin, who kind of earns a living, right, uh, you know, uh, in this in this field, I do have strong views on the pros and cons of each one of them. But I do think the smarter thing for all of us to do is actually to prepare ourselves for a world where each of these various different forms of money will need to interoperate with one another. And I think you will hear the word interoperate or interoperability uh, much more uh, in the coming years. And I think that's why HSBC, you know, we are actively involved uh, in studying each of these areas independently, as well as how they will interoperate. And I think this range from, say, participation in uh, innovative industry consortiums, uh, independent POCs, uh, as well as multi-party initiatives, uh, you know, like uh, SWIFT's actually running a pretty interesting CBDC sandbox, right? And you know, we're certainly playing our part there. So I think to get, for the listeners, you know, to kind of get yourselves ready, right? Speak to people in industry, listen to podcasts like this, you know, find out who within your team is passionate about this area, maybe give them formal or informal responsibilities, you know, to keep the broader team abreast uh, of the latest developments. Uh, and don't take things at face value, right, purely for the technology. I think everyone, we owe it to ourselves. Let's ask the harder questions about the use case. You know, what are the potential impacts to your business on a day-to-day basis? And most importantly, right, let's all stay curious. So, Robin, it's certainly exciting times, you know, to be a banker in payments. I'll give you that much. And I really appreciate the opportunity to have had this chat today. Thank you very much. Nicholas Sue, Regional Head of Payments Products, Asia for HSBC.